Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that I don't know, um, I am Hannah Fakhoury, and my family and I have been here at Providence for about four years. Uh, I just want to start saying that being asked to share a sermon on a passage of scripture is such a gift, because uh, I've really gotten to sit with this text for the last few months, uh, and it has, it has watered my soul deep down to the roots. And I know that the time that we have today, it doesn't really have a chance to go that deep um, for, for you guys, but I do hope that it refreshes you. So I'm going to uh, confess something right up front. Um, I am the kind of person who, for a long time, had a, a mental list, a, a shelf of sorts, on which I would put um, all the passages of the scripture that I didn't like, because they didn't make sense to me. Now, some of you might be thinking, wow, that's really weird, and you'd be right, it's kind of weird. Others of you may be thinking, I kind of do that too, just know that you're not alone. Amen. Plenty of us weird people. Um, as you may be surmising, uh, this passage, when Jesus heals the man born blind, was right up there on that shelf. Uh, so, of course, when um, Hunter Hambrick uh, suggested the text to me, I laughed at Jesus' sense of humor and said yes, ready to have him transform me through reevaluating this passage. You may wonder why, out of all of the challenging and confusing passages in our Bible, this one was so prominent for me, and I will get there. Uh, but first, let's remind ourselves of the question that we are asking, um, that we're presenting through this series on the Gospel of John. It's the question that Jesus asks his disciples in each of the other Gospels. Who do you say that I am? It's an essential question we all must ponder, and not just once. Right On every stage of our journey with Jesus, from, do I believe in this at all? Who are you? To, you know, I have been loved and known by you for decades, Jesus, but you still confuse and delight me. Who are you? I know that my answer to this question has certainly changed on my journey with Jesus. I was raised as a child in an an unorthodox but still Christian home that inculcated me with a, from a very young age with a deep, deep respect for the scriptures. One might almost say it verged on worship. Um, and as happens for most young people, it was when I left home as I went away to college that I began to have a chance to make my faith my own. After a, a couple of years of very rigid defense of my family's upbringing, probably pretty classical uh, response to a couple of years of sort of languishing apathy, also pretty common trajectory. Uh, Jesus, in his great grace, brought me to a very nerdy group of graduate school Christians. And <laughs> um, that's where I met my husband. Uh, and my relationship with Jesus, it really, it began to take root to grow in earnest, and it has blossomed in the 15 years since. So wherever you find yourselves now, maybe you're skeptical, maybe you're peaceful, maybe you're weary, maybe you're just straight out unbelieving, maybe you're earnest, maybe you're questioning, maybe you're delighted. Wherever you are, know that Jesus is here asking you to consider 
who do you say that I am? In this passage, when he heals the man born blind, it's actually a great opportunity to consider our response to his question. So let's dive in. We've been hearing sermons on the, from this gospel for a long time now, so I'm just gonna give a brief reminder of the cultural context of the book. And it's always good to remind ourselves who a text was written to and what the writer was trying to communicate. Otherwise, if you're anything like me, you just kind of think, oh, well, this was written for me, and it was written to say whatever I happen to hear when I read it. So, to remind ourselves about this text, um, it's widely accepted that this text, this gospel, was written to Jewish Christians living outside of Palestine, so living outside of their Jewish cultural um, norms. And it's evidenced from the way that the narrative as a whole, it focuses on Jesus's interactions with Jewish cultural practices and the reactions of Jewish people and Jewish leaders to what Jesus says and does. So these seven signs and sayings that we're covering in the series, they show Jesus reforming and reinstituting both Jewish institutions and Jewish feasts around himself. So the gospel presents not only that Jesus is the promised Messiah and the incarnate God, but also that he is the pivot point around which all the cultural practices of the people of God, among whom we can now count ourselves, change shape. So that's sort of the framing of the gospel as a whole. And let's look at the textual context of this passage that Courtney read for us. And, <clears throat> sorry. As a side note, uh, if you're ever looking for, to get like a broad, high-level view of a book of scripture, um, check out the Bible Project. It's a really good resource. They have really cute videos. It maps it out really well. Um, so totally check it out, the Bible Project. So for the Gospel of John, we start with chapter one, and it is this beautiful, beautiful poem that you could spend forever reading um, and, and sitting in. And then it goes to this uh, story of the story of John the baptizer. And then you have this big giant chunk from chapters two to chapter 10. And that's where most of what we've heard um, in this series has been in. And in this, this long section, it's comprised of stories where Jesus, he performs a miraculous sign and that generates, they generate increasing controversy. And so in the series so far, we've covered the first five signs. This, where Jesus heals the man born blind, is the sixth sign. It's the final sign in this um, progression of chapters two through 10. Next comes the seventh and most profound sign when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And that is what really precipitates, um, that's the final precipitating event in the Jewish leader's decision to, to try to kill Jesus. So the format of each of these signs is consistent uh, in how John tells it in his gospel. Jesus performs a miracle, which leads to controversy and forces the people, both his closest followers but also the people in the crowds and the Jewish leadership to answer the question, who, 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 is this, who is this Jesus and what is he up to? So that's what we're talking about here. In healing the man born blind, what's he challenging about Jewish culture? Why, why is it controversial? And in light of the healing, 
Who do we say that Jesus is? And so I want to pause for a moment and get a little practical. And before we dive into the passage itself, I want to pause for a moment and so you guys can ask yourselves this question here and now, in the midst of everything that your life is, who do you say Jesus is? I'm just going to pause for a few seconds of silence so you can consider that. Okay, if you were able to come up with an answer for yourselves in that time, well done. Always takes me forever to quiet my mind enough. But if you found an answer, just keep that in the back of your mind um, while we consider the text. Uh, for me, my answer to that question or that uh, my 15-year-ago self that liked to keep those passages sort of just up there on the shelf away so I don't have to look at them, um, <laughs> would have answered that something like, Jesus, well, he's the savior, of course, and obviously he's healer, we see that in the passage, but he's also not making any sense here or in so many other passages. So could he just please give me a clear answer once to these very pressing questions that I have? Uh, so how we answer that question, it reveals a lot about the state of our souls, the state of our relationship with Jesus. So you could tell what uh, my focus was. Let's think about the disciples. You know, what does this passage reveal about who the disciples think Jesus is? The passage says, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned that he was born blind? This man or his parents? You see, Jesus, he noticed the man while he was walking along. He was aware of his surroundings. The disciples, well, their response to the man's disability was to ask Jesus a theological, uh, doctrinal question. Essentially, who sinned here? Whose fault is this? We need a doctrine of sin in which to fit this scenario. The disciples, similar to my 15-year-old self, 15 years ago self, were asking, they were answering the question, who is Jesus? with Jesus is, or ought to be, the source of answers to my vital doctrinal questions. The problem with that answer is that Jesus isn't really interested in vital doctrinal questions. <laughs> they say, rabbi, which means teacher. Teachers about the doctrine of sin. Jesus' response goes so far beyond the role of Jewish rabbi, which was really just to instruct knowledge. What was Jesus' response to the person born blind? The passage says, Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, smeared the mud on the man's eyes, and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Salome, the word means sent. So the man went away and washed. When he returned, 
he could see. So what did Jesus do? He went to this man and offered him healing. No blaming, no fitting him, his circumstances into a theological framework, no staying outside and aloof. No, but rather approaching, acknowledging, and bringing wholeness. To the disciples and my request for theological truths, Jesus says, wrong question. Watch me work. And this is why I put this passage up there on that shelf of passages I don't like, because I wanted answers. My priority, like the disciples, was to build a systematic theology. But Jesus isn't. His priority is to offer his presence and bring wholeness. We can see right away why this healing was controversial. Jesus is challenging many things here about Jewish culture and belief. He challenges the role of rabbi. He goes far beyond reasoning about the Jewish law and applying it to the circumstances at hand, right? He instead goes to the hurting and brings the wholeness and the restoration. He also challenges the cultural expectation of ritual purity. It's the same principle as in the other passages we see, some other passages we see where Jesus heals those with leprosy. So in Jewish culture, to engage with that which is impure is to become impure yourself. And anything or anyone impure cannot participate in the life of the community. They cannot attend to life in the temple, which is the cornerstone of Jewish culture. But we see here, Jesus turns that on its head, right? He is the source of wholeness. Whatever he touches becomes whole and pure, not the other way around. He also challenges the cultural understanding of the cause of disability. As we can see from what the disciples asked, the question wasn't if this blindness was caused by sin, but rather whose sin caused it. Fittingly, <laughs> Jesus neither answered their question, which is what they wanted, nor gave a clear corrective to their wrong theology, which was what I wanted. Instead, he showed them the deeper truth. Amen. Disability is an invitation to receive Jesus' presence. Jesus' example challenge as, challenges our modern understanding of disability as well. When we encounter disability or individuals with disability, too many of us actually do the same things that Jesus was pointing out and challenging about Jewish culture. We stay aloof, and at best we want to discuss it and you know, maybe make plans for it rather than drop what we're doing and go to those who are hurting. How many times and how many ways do we treat the disabled as ritually impure, functionally excluding them from the life of the church or the life of the community? When we look at our spaces, we can see how ready we are to include or exclude those with disabilities. 
And when we really dig into it, how many of us, when we see disability, want to assign blame? To figure out whose fault is it? Or worse yet, whose faith is too small to believe for healing? I think sometimes, you know, we come away from a passage like this thinking that the main point is that Jesus can heal blindness. And that's understandable, I think, because many of you probably, like me, uh, come from a cultural heritage adhering to a very intense individualism. So we only see what happens to the individuals. But when we look at this passage through the more culturally focused lens of what's challenging and controversial about Jesus' actions, we see that the takeaway from this passage is actually so much bigger than that Jesus can heal blindness. I heard disability speaker, the, um, the disability theology speaker Stephanie Tate make some really interesting points on uh, the topic of healing passages such as these. So we have to ask ourselves, what does Jesus heal when he heals the man born blind? He heals the man's eyesight, yes, but he also heals his economic and social needs. The man was a beggar when blind because there was no work for him in his society. With restored eyesight, he is restored to economic dignity. He was a social outcast, unable to participate in the life of the community. With restored eyesight, he's restored to relationship with those in his community. And as ritually impure, he was actually also unable to enter the temple and participate in the vocation of all humanity, which is to worship and love God. With restored eyesight, he is restored to the temple and thus to his vocation. So by healing this man's blindness, his physical body, Jesus restores him to his community. But he also restores the community to him. He demonstrates the illness within the community itself, the community that ostracized and discarded those with disabilities. And so what if we came away from a passage, from this passage, not only praising Jesus that he can heal blindness? What if we also praise Jesus that he can heal broken community structures? And what if we live that out? What if we went to those who were hurting and we offered them whatever we could? Prayer, perhaps, yes, but also our physical presence, social inclusion, and economic opportunity. Jesus is in the business of wholeness. That's what his kingdom is all about. Here we see that he brings wholeness to the person, to the man, yes, but even more wholeness of the people to one another. In the face of the disciples' question about sin, he doesn't teach with words. He teaches with actions. He shows them the proper response is to pursue wholeness of individuals and communities. I find this really comforting now, but I used to be really resistant to any such implications. And that's why it was up there on that least favorite passages shelf, because it pointed, out, it pointed out how much I was missing. 
I wanted Jesus to lay out rules and systems because rules and systems are safe. And in a chaotic childhood, I longed for structure and stability. That Jesus didn't do that caused this continual pressure of disconnect between what I wanted and what Jesus was giving. Over many years of, of feeling that pressure of that disconnect, I, I've come to question how I approach the text. What if these scriptures aren't to be mined for a list of rules and truths to apply in different circumstances? What if instead this passage and all the rest are given to us to reveal a person, the person of Jesus? Uh, on a podcast, uh, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, sorry. On a podcast, I heard Brandy Miller, uh, host of the Reclaiming My Theology podcast, say it so succinctly. She said that Jesus in the Gospels does mysterious things, like not answering these direct questions from the disciples, to draw people into searching him out. He is opaque on purpose to draw us to himself to get us to try to answer that question, who do you say that I am? I didn't used to have room in my theology for opaque answers. I came to the text looking for clear answers for safety from chaos. I didn't come looking for a person. I had learned from my experience that people are at best unreliable and at worst downright dangerous. And I'm sure that in a room this size, I'm not the only person who has had a hard childhood, whose sense of faith and Jesus and humanity has been warped by trauma. Know that no matter where you start from, no matter your answer to the question of who you think Jesus is, he doesn't leave you with just the coping mechanisms born of your pain. No, he is, he is too gracious for that. And I have experienced that gracious love. After a decade of, of banging my head against texts like these and searching for systematic theology and finding none, Jesus began to break through. Amen. And I began to really find him. And just in time, too. Because all of the texts that show Jesus healing people have become deeply personal for me. For those of you who don't know, my mother died earlier this year of a rare, brutal, terminal disease that stole everything from her. None of you had the chance to know her, but she was a woman whose life and heart we're transformed by the love of Jesus. If you think of our own Patty Brim, you'll get a picture of what my mom was like. My mother and I didn't start out close. She was an emotionally distant parent, bearing the scars of her own childhood. But she didn't stay that way. Over decades of receiving and pursuing the love of Jesus and the relationship with him, she became the epitome of a loving, caring woman who watered souls with her well of love. 
She became my confidant, my champion, and my friend. But then the disease came. It rapidly stole everything from her. Her independence, her dignity, her personality. And after just 18 months, she died. We prayed and prayed for healing through every stage of her journey, through the whole progression of the illness, and still she died. If I had faced this loss a decade ago, before I had begun to know Jesus as a person instead of as a dispenser of truths, I fear I would have walked away. For so long, disappointed by his lack of clear answers and then faced with this senseless suffering and death, I couldn't have borne it. And I'm sure that in a room this size, I'm not the only person who has experienced a loss that shakes your foundations. Maybe for some of you, it came like me, like it did for me when you had an answer to who is Jesus that could withstand the loss. Maybe for other views, it was a, it was a close call, you know, you, but, but you've grown to know Jesus more through it and you've come out the other side with a firm foundation. Maybe for some, it, it destroyed something in you and your heart is closed to Jesus. If that's you, know that he waits and he pursues and he loves and he longs to hold you in your pain. For that is what I have known Jesus to do for me through my mother's illness and death. He hasn't answered my questions of why. Why did you heal the man born blind and all these other people you've come across in the gospels and all these other stories of healings that I hear, but, but not my mom. He hasn't answered those, but he has held me. He has not left me alone. My earlier self would not have been able to feel his comfort. My earlier self would have said that I must not have prayed enough or believed enough or really understood that Jesus could heal anything. You know, rarely did I say anything that, like that out loud to anyone facing such a loss back then, but I regret that I ever even thought those things. Having lived this loss, I now know the deeper truths of this text. There is no one to blame. Not my mother, not my prayers. Like with a man born blind, blame is the wrong question. The right question is, how will Jesus be revealed in this illness? I could fill volumes with what Jesus has revealed to me through this process. My idols, the insufficiency of my doctrine, the depths of his love and beauty that words truly cannot express. Jesus didn't heal my mother as he did the man born blind. He healed me. Not in an instant, 
but over decades. He's taking me from a person who was too wounded to trust and restored me to, to my vocation, to being able to worship him as a person who is safe and restored me to my community to be willing to risk that maybe people are worth trusting. And in this deepest of losses in my mother's death, he has offered me his presence, healing my soul with his loving gentleness. So often, I was asking him the wrong question, asking for theological answers as the disciples did, and, and Jesus was mostly silent. But when I started to ask him who he is, that he answered. He showed me his love. So now, and as you go about your week, ask yourself again, who do you say that Jesus is? Ask Jesus, who are you? For me, I know my answer. Jesus, you are good through all of it. To close us out this morning, Abby has agreed to lead us in a song that I have adopted as my personal anthem and declaration, especially in the most hard of times. It is a song called The Goodness of God. Amen. I hope that it waters your souls. But if you can't quite get there, maybe just Maybe just leave the door open a crack. Be willing to risk asking Jesus to show you his love. The prayer team and I will be up front here, ready to pray with any of you during this song or after the service. I'll pray for us. Jesus, we are here. We are ready to receive your answer to who are you. Show us your love. <laughs>